0: Hello and welcome to Fireside FileMaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Rashad talking about everything FileMaker. Hello, this is Michael Rashad.
1: And my name is John Mark Osborne.
0: And welcome to Fireside FileMaker. Today, we're going to talk about context. So John, what is context?
1: Well, context is everything. Is that vague enough?
0: Well, context is everything, and also context is king. And just as a simple analogy for context is, if you don't know where you are, how can you get to where you're going? And that's context. Imagine a situation where you wake up and you found yourself in the middle of nowhere. And you don't have a phone, you don't have GPS, you just have a map and you know that you need to get to Los Angeles. But if you don't know where you are, how can you ever get to Los Angeles? You can't, and that's context.
1: Right, you don't know what direction to go. It's kind of like uh, Googling your directions, you know, or using Apple Maps or whatever you guys use out there. You have to have a starting point to get the directions, and you have to have an ending point to get there, and then it draws everything in between for you and tells you what route to take. That's very similar to what context is in FileMaker, and it has a lot to do with relationships, but let's take it slow if you're not familiar with context, and we'll, we'll get to a, an understanding of what that really means. But it, it really all starts with relationships.
0: But it really starts with FileMaker 7.
1: True. Yeah, FileMaker 6, you had one, or you have multiple files, so there's one table per file.
0: And that was a huge difference when FileMaker 7 came out, that you could have multiple tables per file.
1: Yeah, it makes an incredible difference because now you do have to think about context. You have to think about what layout you're on when you're working with relationships, because that's your where you're at on the map, or use the analogies that, that Michael and I just covered. If you're on a layout, it has a context or a starting point on the relationship graph. And then, of course, anything you put on that such as a related field would be the most basic, would have an ending point, And you need to know how to get from point A to point B, from the start to the end. And that's really essentially what context is all about.
0: Now, I know that, Remember going back to when FileMaker 7 came out, I know that I struggle with it, and I know that you did. And I think we still do on occasion.
1: Absolutely. I, you know, it, and it's, I guess it's not, I wouldn't call it struggling necessarily. It's more that we forget about it and make a mistake and then go, oh, I got the context wrong. You know, you've got a big project with so many table occurrences and you pick the wrong one or you forget to change it, maybe duplicate an object or duplicate a script and you don't change what it's looking at and it, and it causes a problem or maybe the layout change, who knows? So many things can change and interrupt how that context is working it might've been working great yesterday, but not today because you made some changes. I mean, so many things can mess it up. And, you know, we've all made those mistakes. I mean, uh, you know, that's why Michael and I always say that we we know so much is because we've made every single mistake multiple times.
0: Yeah, that's the truth. (laughs) You know, and the truth is also that many, perhaps most errors are due to being out of context. When something doesn't work correctly the first thing you and i do is we go and look at the context and we say is it is this in context or out of context and usually it's just as simple
1: as that i'd have to completely agree with that because filemaker is so good at preventing you from making mistakes from the calculation dialogue and its syntax errors you know to scripting where you have to have a an if and an end if and it's going to you know tell you that you didn't context is often going to be it you're going to it's going to run all the way through and you're going to go well why didn't it do that why didn't it Create the record over here. Why didn't it calculate this? It's because context was not correct. So you kind of have to visualize in your head when you're looking at a script or run the debugger to really figure out those context issues. Right. So let's
0: talk about how relationships work because that's why context is really important. And I think what we should do, John, is give the listener an analogy to describe relationships. The analogy that I would use is, if you think of a city, a city has zip codes. Within that zip code, there are certain streets. Within that street, there are houses. And within each house, there are rooms which have objects. So that's a typical relationship graph, effectively.
1: Right, where the parents and the children and the grandchildren and going on down through the line are all related to each other. So it's kind of like a tree, a branch of a tree. Think about how the branch of the tree from the trunk goes off into several branches and they keep going off. And that's how relationships are. Everything typically comes back to one table. It's not always true, but it comes back to there. It's kind of like a family tree. It started off with two people and then, then they had four children and then they, those people had four children. It keeps multiplying. You have this big tree and that's kind of how relationships work.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great analogy, but let's just take it a little bit further because in in filemaker and in the relationship graph we talk about parents and child, and your analogy about the family tree is you have the parent, and they have children, but those children are the parents to their children, so. You're not either one or the other. You can be both.
1: Exactly. Very good point. I like how you uh, you refined that definition.
0: You're welcome. Uh, no
1: problem. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a $5 bill later.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it.
1: I'll put a quarter in the jar, the the Michael's uh, correction fund.
0: Perfect. So let's talk about, uh, let's use a common example of an invoicing solution.
1: And we're going to do this. And, and some people may already understand relationships, but there's different people listening to this podcast and we'll get into some juicier stuff later. And we're going to talk about UIDs versus serial numbers and all different stuff. That's kind of get really kind of think juicy for people are more sophisticated, but you know, you also might pick up a nugget of truth when we're talking about these basics about relationships, because I always say relationships are the hardest, easiest thing to understand in FileMaker. Once you get them, you go, what, what was why would I think it was so hard? But getting there sometimes is a little difficult. So the common classic example I like to use is an invoicing solution, which has tables for invoices, customers, and products. And then once you create an ERD, an entity relationship diagram, you figure out that the invoices to the products is a many-to-many relationship. And the way you figure that out, you go. If I'm looking at one invoice record, because you're making a record every time somebody comes and buys something, right? So 100 people come in today, you have 100 invoice records. So if we're looking at just one of those records, it can have many products on it. And if we're looking at one product, it can be on many invoices, many to many. And the way to resolve that in FileMaker is to create an intermediary file called a join table. And I like to call it in this case called lines. It's the lines on your invoice. And the minimum that you need inside that lines table is going to be two foreign keys, one from invoices and one from products, and it connects them. And so if we take it back to what we just talked about, when we look at invoices, in fact, we should take it a little bit easier. Let's talk about customers to invoices, which is simply a one to many relationship, right? One customer can have many invoices and one invoice can have only one customer at least in most situations, right? In that one-to-many relationship, that's the branch of the tree, right? You've got the customers, the trunk, and then it's branching off into seeing multiple invoices. And that's how it relates. And what it does is you have to have these primary keys, which we're going we're gonna to get in a nice uh, little uh, discussion here about it. You have to have those primary keys and those foreign keys. So the primary key is coming from customers. The foreign key is in invoices that stores that customer's primary key. So every single one of that customer's invoices has that customer primary key on it. That's how they're connected. It's almost like a key to a door. You can make a bunch of duplicates of it and give it to your whole entire family and they can all come in and get inside that front door of your house.
0: Right, but I'm going to... um come back and circle back on something you said earlier on this and you talked about the the foreign keys I also think you need a third foreign key in the lines table for the customer so that you can link the customer directly to the things they're buying not necessarily to an invoice to see what they bought but you need to be able to see what they're buying and look for patterns and trends
1: Sure, you can also do that by just adding the tail, just going from lines over to invoices to customers and see who's connected to that. But there's, there's, some, there's been some times when I've definitely had to push a primary key down two levels into another table in order to get something to work. I, I couldn't exactly give you a perfect example of what I'm doing, but I've done it many times before, and it's, it's saved my bacon several times because I needed it to be indexed or something for some reason, whatever I was trying to do. And it can get complicated, but in most basic cases um, you don't really, the requirements for a join table are just two foreign keys.
0: Yeah, true. So let's talk about
1: primary keys. So what is a primary key? Well, it's a unique identifier, right?
0: Absolutely. And you must use a uni- unique identifier. You cannot and must not use a value, i.e. a name, that can be modified in the relationships. Because if you're using something, that could be modified. Let's say you have a company customer company, and you are linking everything based on the company name If the company changes its name, if you're using that as part of the relationship, you've just invalidated all the relationships and all the links to the other tables that that customer was in. So that's why you're using a unique identifier that cannot be changed by the user. In fact, they can't even see it 99% of the time.
1: Yeah. So what you've essentially done in that situation by using data that people can change is created orphans because you've changed the primary key for whatever reason. Maybe somebody spelled the company name wrong or whatever. And all of a sudden, everything that's been related over into the subtable, into the child, doesn't connect anymore. It's not like FileMaker goes, oh, this is a primary key. I'm going to go ahead and fix all your your, uh, foreign keys for you. It doesn't do that. You could fix it yourself manually or through a script, but It's better just to base it off of something that's divorced from the data, the data entry. People shouldn't be able to touch that. And so there's several ways to do that. We have get UID and we have serial numbers. There's really no other method out there. We'll talk about get record ID in a second, but those are really the only two methods you can have that are reliable enough and easy enough to do. And so tell me, Michael, what what kind of unique primary key do you use?
0: Well, I always use get uuid which provides a unique identifier it's a 36 digit string with four dashes and the chances of it being duplicated are about the same as winning the lottery three times in a week ain't gonna happen
1: so yeah so you're not you're always going to have a unique value attached to that record when you create it. And you do that by saying in, an, in the auto-enter section of whatever you call your primary key, you put in an auto-enter and just simply put get UUID. That's it. It will put that on there and keep it on there. And it'll stay there.
0: And in fact, with FileMaker 17 or since FileMaker 17, that field is automatically created for you in the the standard standard fields that FileMaker adds to every new table.
1: Right. I think they refer to as the default fields in the help. I like to call them the housekeeping fields and I turn them off. I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't like get UID, but I also don't like things being added to my database ahead of time because they don't do it exactly what I want. I could modify that, that, that XML file that creates those default fields or I could, but I've chosen to turn it off because I could just easily copy and paste it from one table to another. All those housekeeping fields. I prefer it that way. I don't have to go back and change as much stuff. You know, it's it's really it's really up to you. But I'm and it's also partly I'm I'm a creature of habit. That's how I've been doing it until they they added it. But if I go to a client's office and do some work, which I do quite often, I'm working on their computer. Then they're going to go ahead and have those values auto entered on their copy of FileMaker Pro. So I prefer not to change it, but to actually just eliminate because that's the easiest copy of file. And I, it's all over my database website. There's even an example of the default fields and things like that. But it shows you how to to take, uh, you know, that ability out so it doesn't happen. And, and I think most old school people are like me. I think really those fields are there for people who just started out with FileMaker. Maybe not. Maybe somebody else loves them. Who knows? It's not me. But I have a bone to pick with you because I'm a serial number kind of guy. Oh,
0: no. Tell me it ain't true, John.
1: It is. Well, they've they've been around a lot longer than UUID and have a lot more stories to tell. So let me tell you what a serial number is and why I like them. And then we can have uh, Michael say why he likes his UID. And, and then you guys will all know that I'm right at the end once you hear my <laughs> eloquent description here.
0: <laughs> I don't think so, but let's go just try it.
1: We'll give it a try, right? So serial numbers are in the auto-enter section of a field, and you can simply just check it and it'll start auto-entering your serial number and there's a few things you have to check Uh, you know you want to make sure you check the unique option and prohibit modifications so that people don't actually you you know if you even if you don't put it on the layout you want to make sure people don't accidentally you know you want to make sure that value stays there and so people don't try to type in something because you definitely don't want the serial number repeated and you can pretty well do it but the thing I like about serial numbers is it's going to be a, you know, a number that's going to be sequential, right? It's going to start off at one or whatever you decide and go all the way up to the number. And it'll be, it'll be unique as long as you don't cause a problem. And so if you don't, you've got the power of being able to control what that serial number has, like if I want to go ahead and repeat a serial number, I want to go ahead and put a you know some spacing in there. I want to do this or that. I ha- I can't change a UUID. I really can't t- touch that, and that's part of what I don't like. And I think that might be a hint as to what Michael actually likes. But let me tell you about my other things that I like about it. It's short. That UUID is really long and takes a- is very time consuming to index, and can actually uh, reduce performance. And it was actually introduced not because serial numbers don't do the job, UID was introduced for distributed systems. In other words, you've got somebody out there in the field, let's say a salesperson who doesn't always have a connection to the internet and can't connect up to a database that's in the cloud. So what they do is they have a local database and they make all their changes, and then when they get do get to a, a place where they have good internet connection, they synchronize, and it sends all the data back, and they may also get some data back into their database. Who knows? You can do one way or two way. It's up to you. But it's pretty cool what you can do. It makes extra work to synchronize, but that's the reason why UUID was introduced, it, because if you had to do that with serial numbers, you'd have to go into that person's copy of on their, you know, let's say it's an iPad, who's the salesperson, and put like a letter in front of it. Or a couple of letters, so you make sure that the serial numbers being created at the home base wouldn't be the same as the ones out on the field. They would be the same, but one would have a letter A in it or A, B, C, or who knows what letters in front of it. And that's why I like it. So it's shorter, so less index and in storage. It can be manipulated. I like that aspect of it. And I can also add, and I didn't say this, but I can you can put in leading letters for identifying those serial numbers out of context was a lot of times I'll collect serial numbers, put them over in a global field or put them over here or store them over there, and I'll forget why they're there, and I'll go, oh, well, there's a three-letter code representing the table at the beginning. Okay, now I know where that came from, so I don't have to guess about it. And again, if I'm storing multi-keys like that, the size of the key makes a big difference. If I have this big, long, you know, 32-bit, I think you said, or thirty bytes, whatever it is, thirty-two bit, you know, number and letters in there, it really makes the size an issue. It makes the indexing an issue. It makes the the storage an issue. So, anyhow, I know talked a long time, Michael, and he's probably taken a quick nap. But here's your chance to.
0: I have, and I, you've just given me every single reason. You've just given me is the reason why I won't use serial numbers. I want to use a UUID. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to have to remember if I'm importing from one version to another that I've got to reset serial numbers. I don't want to have to worry about duplication. I don't want to have to worry about any of that stuff, which is why I don't use serial numbers ever.
1: Well, you did at some point because it hasn't always been here, but I get your point.
0: (laughs) Well, but I can't remember that far back. I mean, the UUIDs came out quite a long time ago.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about, and, and that's a very good point. I mean, you guys have to make your own decision. We both made our cases here. And and so, you know, basically the way I see it is Michael's lazy and doesn't want to think about anything <laughs> and I'm right. So you should follow the way I know, but, but seriously though, you know, either way is valid and there's advantages and disadvantages to everything you do in FileMaker. And so take these points and run them across the way you develop and decide what's better, decides what's better for you.
0: Right. So you mentioned um, not using get record ID, which I agree with completely, but why would you not use it?
1: Well, get record ID is an internal value assigned, almost like a serial number in a way, assigned to a record when it gets created. So you're thinking, oh, well, I could use that. I can make a calculation that says get record ID. It'll pull it off that record and then it'll, it'll use it in a, that calculation field as a primary key, and that will do it, right? The problem is, is that as soon as you make a clone and import data or do anything like that, all of a sudden the record IDs are different. So you've, again, orphaned everything. You can't transport them like you can with UUID and serial numbers to another database, to a clone or import them. And so it's a big problem. The only time you should be using record ID is on the web. And it's a pretty common thing to do because you're at that point grabbing the record ID. And we won't go into how all that custom web publishing works, but it allows you to identify a record temporarily. It's not going to change in the time for when you're identifying and using because it's going to happen in a second. Right. Or I should less than a second.
0: Now, There's also get UUID number, which is another function that you can use, which gives you a number string. Now, the number string, if I remember correctly, and I haven't used this, but if I'm correct, it's much longer than the UUID itself. Am I correct in that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we, we both took a look at it, and we counted, and you can clearly see if you put both of them inside the data viewer, one is significantly longer, and that's the UUID number.
0: Now the interesting thing about that is and I know it's ease, indexing is easier for FileMaker to handle when it's a number, but if get UID number is better than getUUID, why is that not used in the primary key in the housekeeping fields as you call them?
1: Well, First of all, let's talk about why UUID number is longer. Well, because it has no letters, so I believe that it has to have more numbers to be just as unique as the regular UUID, which is really text. So, if you're why are they doing it? Well, they both, as far as I remember, came out in the same version. So I, it was probably two different team, two different teams working on it. But it clearly says inside the FileMaker help when you look at the get UUID number that you may get performance increases with UUID number even though it's a longer value and the reason is because of how the index works you've got a longer value think that takes longer to index well the problem is get uid is a text value you have to have a text result or a text type field in order for it to work so it indexes it differently in other words it uses a both a word index and a value index. I mean, it could possibly only be a value index, you know. but it it's the way that the index work. It could have a word index turned on. So the word index is for text fields only. A value index is for every other type of field, a number field, a date field, a time field, and so on. Every other field will accept a container field, of course, in the summary field. And so those two types of indexes are applied, or can be applied to a text field, but only one type gets applied to the number field and the other ones are there are value types. And what that means is that it it indexes everything inside that number field as one value. When you're searching on text fields, if you have a word separator, you can search by the beginning of each word. Now that dash, when you look at get UUID, because it has a bunch of characters separated by dashes, those are considered words. So you can actually search on each one of those words from the beginning of it. You have to search for the entire number to get it. So in a lot of ways, it's actually a simpler type of index. And it's easier for FileMaker to handle that. And it takes less space, and especially you don't have two indexes. So everything's easier for it. And that's basically the idea why UUID number is faster and will give you performance. So it's probably the best way to go. And and FileMaker probably should change how... The housekeeping or default fields are working they should switch it to uid or in my opinion should said switch it to serial number i actually went in one time and fiddled around with it and switched it to serial numbers because i i was like so mad at the thing i'm like i don't want uid so but anyhow that's that's another story
0: yeah definitely so both of those um functions are farmaker 17 and beyond if i'm correct but Moving off the, the unique identifier, and as long as you have a unique identifier and that unique identifier is not available for the user to change under any circumstance or even see it 99% of the time, you're going to be safe and you won't end up with orphans. But let's just briefly describe what an orphan is, John, just for the people who don't understand what that
1: means. Well, it's a related record, a child record that does not relate to a parent record. I mean, there should be a relationship. Every child should have a parent, right? And when that parent, and and this is different than our analogies, you know, family trees, but when a parent goes away, a child usually should go away. It should be deleted and removed. And so there's a couple ways. There's there's this cascading deletes thing you can set on the relationships to make sure those children go away. So for instance, if you have, uh, you know, uh, a line items in your invoices, right? if you delete the invoice, you don't want the line item still in the lines table. You're not wanting to delete the product, original product record, just the copy of it inside lines. And so you, you want to go ahead and get that deleted. And the same thing is true when you orphan a record by changing that key. You don't want that record to be there. I mean, you do in this case, I guess, but you don't want it to be there without it relating back to a parent, because it really shouldn't exist without a parent in this case. And that's one of those relational rules in this case.
0: Right. And in simple terms, when you orphan a record, it doesn't know who it belongs to, and you've lost all the information that you might need to make sense of that data.
1: Yeah. I'm glad I have you around, because my description was much longer than yours. Mine's like a UUID versus a serial number.
0: Well that's what i that's what you get with me, John so let's talk about let's get back to context and let's talk about what features have context
1: yeah, let's kind of sum up those that The reason we talked about these relationships and went off on this tangent about primary keys and things like that is because if you don't understand what relationships are, then you can't understand what context is. It's impossible. And so hopefully you've got a better idea what context is, but let's, let's review before we, real quickly before we talk about what features have context. So the idea, the most basic concept about context is that you have a layout. Attached to that layout has to be a table occurrence. That's your starting point. And I said this before, but i to repeat it again. So it really, you know, cements into your brain. So you've got that layout, you've got that table occurrence attached to it. And if you put a related field on there, That's going to be the ending point. So you have a starting point of the layout, an ending point of the related field. And the way FileMaker figures out what's going on is goes, okay, I'm starting here. I'm in this context. And I'm going to look out in the perspective of that related field and go across that relationship graph. And it could be one hop, two hops, three hops, four hops, as many hops as you want. It's going to go through that relationship graph, starting from the layout's point of view the context, and going to the perspective of that related field. And based on how it goes through that relationship graph determines what comes back to you. Because not every single relationship from this table A to table B is going to have the same definition in the primary keys. You can have, there's tons of times where you're setting up relationships for different reasons. They're, They're from point A to point B, but they have different Primary keys in the middle, so depending on where you tell it to go on that roadmap, terms what you get back, and so in in that definition, there we need to talk about what features do have context and how do they relate to context. What what concerns do you have to have? What you know, what what things do you have to look at?
0: Right. So let me, but before, let me just interrupt. So when you the layout that you're starting with is based on a table occurrence that table occurrence is the parent in the relationship. And that's really important to understand.
1: Well, it could be the child also.
0: It's from from the context of where you are. Yes, that relation, that table occurrence could be a child of another, another occurrence. But in in the context of where you are, it is the parent for that layout.
1: Right. Just want to make sure people don't get confused about the parent and child we used before, because if you have a layout, a customers layout, and you have an invoices layout. You can view the relationship from both different con- both contexts at that point, and so you can look either way through the relationship that you yes. want. Okay, good. So it's a good that we were able to 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 make sure that was that was. And I, I get what you're saying. You know, we're talking about you know that's the I, I like to refer to it as the starting point. But you could also use that parent. Just don't confuse it with the with what we talked about before. So that starting point is all important when you're doing context. So probably the place that most people get messed up with context is with scripting. I don't know if that would be your your uh, your uh, understanding also your your uh, what what you see mostly in your development career.
0: I would say it's calculations, but it's it's very close one way or the other because it's in calculations at the top of the calculation dialog box. You have to evaluate it from the context of which table occurrence that you're in and if you make that selection if you make the wrong selection or you go with the default which is I think the first value first table occurrence of that table you can end up being completely out of context and not realize because you weren't paying attention and it's very easy to not pay attention when you're doing a lot of stuff
1: so let's let's back up a little bit and 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 talk about that that because this is where the problem occurs a lot of times, is that the first, and you said this, but I wanna repeat again so people understand how important what you said is. That first table occurrence that FileMaker creates, of course you could delete it and put a new first one in, but when you create a table, FileMaker makes a table occurrence in the in the relationship graph for you. That's the one that's the default in that evaluate from the context of at the top of that calculation dialogue where you're typing in your formula. That's what's going to read up there every single time. You can pop it up and change it and change the perspective, not really the context, the perspective of that calculation, how it evaluates, from what perspective does it evaluate. And we'll talk about anchor buoy again and come back to calculations and how important it is to make sure you have the right default value in there. Because I remember a couple of times I was kicking myself because I had gotten the wrong table or table occurrence as my default and I had to keep going and changing. Sometimes I forget and go, why isn't this calculation working? It's perfect. And I'll realize it was that, that context or that perspective up there that uh, evaluate from this context. I generally don't touch it.
0: So I just want to bring something up and this just occurred to me. So this is obvious, but not so obvious is you have a table or multiple tables and each So a table is one entity, but you can have unlimited numbers of table occurrences based on that one table. And I think this is where people get very confused about the difference between a table and a table occurrence. I'm not sure I'm right, but I think it is.
1: No, no, you're absolutely right. I 100% agree because I've taught enough classes and people go, one of the questions comes out of their mouth is, why do I need a table occurrence? and it it's all about relationships it's kind of like a shortcut or an alias to the to the source table and the difference between each table occurrence is how it relates to other tables so it's a, it's a common stumbling block i think for people to understand what good is a table occurrence it's just how you make relationships that's all it is and once you start making multiple table occurrences then context all of a sudden becomes a little bit more complex than just having, let's say a very simple relationship graph. If you start making all kinds of table currents, I remember I made a solution with like 800 table currents, I thought, wow, this is complicated. So you've got to watch out for it and you've got to be understanding of what context is because you can easily mess things up. And so there's all kinds of calculations that have context the calculation field is the most complex, and we'll get more into that because it has two types of context or context and perspective. But there's also the auto-enter calculation, the validation, the object calculations, which is conditional formatting, placeholder text, hide object and tooltips. Those, all those calculations, the security, you have the record level access, you have custom functions, which is a whole different type of context. But let's start with auto-enter. You have to make sure that when you're auto entering something that when you're auto entering it, it's auto entering into the field and based on the right context. So you get the right value. It's the same thing as putting a related field on layout. You got to make sure it's pulling from the right place to get that value in there. You can't just name any table occurrence you want. You have to get the right table occurrence. So it goes through that relationship graph correctly.
0: Yeah. And often I have to go back and look at the relationship graph itself to to make sure that I'm selecting the calculation or whatever from the correct context.
1: Yeah. Which is why we love. And I know some people are going to hate this, but is why we love or don't love the separation model because it's so hard to get in and out of managed database. You and I are constantly going back in. Okay. What did I do here? What's the right. Okay. That's the right table occurrence. Okay. Go back out of managed database, then back in, then back out with the, with the separation model. you have to go to another file, you know, click on it or choose the window menu, go into managed database, see what you want to see click out of it go back to the other file and then do what you need to do it's it can become uh you know a a pain after a while and and waste a lot of your efficiency yeah absolutely yeah so don't be afraid to to keep looking at managed database and constantly looking at because some of these graphs get so complicated you need to double check that context i'd rather try to get it right the first time and make sure i've chosen the right table occurrence and get it right the first time, rather than have to go back and go, hey, what's wrong with this combination of scripts and calculations and relationships and layouts? I'm not sure what it is. You know, it's better to double check yourself. I think it's it's actually more efficient.
0: I've actually got into the habit now, as I keep a notepad by my by my hand, and when I'm starting to work in a complicated solution, I'm I've written down the name of that uh, starting point. So that I don't have, I can just look at the piece of paper and yes, I've had to write it down rather than go in and look at it on the graph. You know, it doesn't take very long, but it just works for me to have that save me, keep going in and out of the managed database.
1: Yeah, I do exactly the same thing, especially when I've adopted a solution. I'm not familiar with their naming conventions. And some of these guys have these 50-word long table occurrence names and I have to write them down. And they're, they're like one character different than five other table occurrences. And I can't remember. So I write them down on a piece of paper so I can go in and make sure I get it right when I'm choosing it from one of the like the specify field pop-up menu, the, the table occurrences there that you get to choose where the fields come from. So I'm I'm right there with you on that one, Michael. No oh, good. <laughs> I know you're you're you sleep better at night knowing that we agree on stuff. So I'll try to agree with more stuff you say.
0: Well, thank you, John. I appreciate it.
1: See what a guy I am.
0: Yeah. Summary fields—they have a different type of context.
1: Yeah, they do. I mean, they have the same kind of context as other fields. I mean, if you put them in a layout, you know, from a relationship, they could do something different than they're from the local table, but. What I think we're worried about here, or, or talking about, is is how they react when they're inside sub summary parts or headers or grand summaries. They will actually change values, and people don't realize that power. To do a sub summary report, you can use one summary field and get five different totals based on how you've organized your report. You could get, you know, let's say you had a sub summary by um, by parent. A, and then a sub summary by a child, and then a sub summary by grandchild. You could put the same summary field inside that sub summary and get three different totals for each organization. It's it's an amazing type of context, which is really different than really our point here. But we wanted to mention it because it, it is still context, just not quite what we're talking about here.
0: Right. And the other thing you can do with summary fields is if you you've got summary fields in parts. And for the records to show, you have to sort by that part. So you could have a summary field, but not in a part, but not sort by that part. And therefore, you won't see that value or the separation. So it's very useful to do that, too.
1: Right. You could have one report, one layout, do two or three different types of reports that look similar but different.
0: Exactly. I remember one solution I developed years back, and it had 14 different sub summaries for single report and every time they pressed a a different button it sorted that one layout differently to give different values and it was very powerful and a lot less work than creating separate layouts for each option
1: so I think it's important to understand that there's lots of different types of context and I want to go back to calculation fields because the calculation field itself you can specify the perspective inside the calculation dialogue, but by putting it on a layout, you're also invoking context as well. So you've got to understand that that context comes in many flavors, just like ice cream. You know, you might be over here in this context and over there and all kinds of things. For instance, conditional value lists have context, but not really by where you place them, but by how you define them inside the value list definition. And so for people who are not familiar with conditional value lists, they're those hierarchical menus. You have one menu you choose, and it defines or filters what's in the second menu. You can go as many levels deep as you want. So you could have, let's say, countries as your first pop-up menu, and you have all the countries in the world. And then the second will be states. So if you choose United States, you're going to see the 50 states. If you choose you know, some other country, you're going to see different types of cities or states or whatever it might be divided up as in that pop-up menu. And you got to understand that that context is defined inside of the definition of it. It's really kind of one of those interesting, different kinds of context that really is not associated with the layouts we've been talking about. So context becomes a pretty complex thing to understand. I remember having so much trouble with conditional value lists and how their context is defined.
0: Yeah, it's a very, I call them related value lists. Um, just the way I refer them. And I use them all the time. And the great advantage of that is it presents the user with choices that are correct. In other words, the user cannot make a mistake. They choose one value, they see the values that relate to that value on the next level, and they can only choose one of those. And then they choose one of those, and it filters down to the next level. So it's controlling the user experience and not allowing them to make mistakes. In other words, they can't search for something that doesn't exist because that would give them no values. So you're really preventing user error by using them.
1: Yeah. A word I like to use is idiot proofing, although it's got a bad connotation, but that's what you want to do is you're trying to make the it easy for somebody to use your system. And by preventing them from making mistakes, you're making it easier for them because they don't have to think as much. They just want to get their job done and move on. It's not your job to give so many different features that they're confused.
0: Right. So idiot proofing is actually an interesting word. And it's generally what we internally refer to it. But I actually maintain that every developer should have a friend Who's a complete another moron, <laughs> right. so that you can get them to test your solution. Right,
1: absolutely, right? <laughs> so let's talk about scripting because we kind of brought that at the beginning, and I, I said it's probably where I make most of my contextual uh, problems. And the reason why I say that is because when you're scripting, you can run that button from anywhere you want. Of course, you can put a field wherever you want to and get context issues, but people often put scripts under the menus and it's the worst place to put them. Back in FileMaker 6 and earlier, the scripts menu was great. You could put a bunch of scripts under there and they would know the context already because there was no context. So it would be the, the file where it was. But, but so, so now with all these tables, you can put that button on multiple layouts and it, it, it can run in all the different scenarios, but you, re- you really need to do is set the context first, because if you have it on your invoices layout, a script, and you have it on your customers layout, and you have it on the products layout, there has to be some common starting point. So it does things right. So often what you do at the beginning of a script or don't do is put in the starting point for the context. Or if somewhere inside of that script, you're saying, I want to do something else in another table, you forget to change it to the right layout. Maybe choose the wrong layout and it can make a record in the wrong layout and and then try to, you know, all kinds of things could go wrong. You could do a set field and not have the right table. You went to the right layout, but didn't match up the set field target context with the layout context that you just moved to. I mean, there's so many different intricate combinations. You really have to watch that script in your mind and realize Where you're at when the script is running, it's controlled by really mostly by what layout you're going to. So you constantly are changing layouts with scripting to make sure you're in the right context and then matching it up with your set fields and and your new records and delete. so you're doing everything the way you want them to be done in the right time, in the right manner.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay, let's talk about execute SQL. I, I thought about this before bringing it up, and, and I said, well, there is context in execute SQL. There is and there isn't. I mean, that's one of the beauties is you can be anywhere inside of your solution, or I should say inside your file, and reference a table, not a table occurrence. You're referencing the source table. If you know anything about SQL, you can just simply query it with a little statement. And what it st- stops you from doing is making a bunch of table occurrences that you only use for this one little feature over here. But I thought about it It really does have context because you have to tell it where to look. And it's it's maybe not the same kind of context, but I want to start thinking about, you know, everything needs to know where to go and, and execute SQL is no, no different. You have to tell it where to go. And it's a simple version of context. And maybe if I talked about that and maybe not, I don't know, it would get people to understand context more uh, because you always have to tell something where to act especially with scripting or with related fields, it has to know where it's at. And I think what uh, Michael said at the beginning was, if I scroll up in our notes here, it says, if you don't know where you are, how can you get to where you're going? I mean, it's, it, hopefully that's making a lot more sense now. You have to know where you're at to do anything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's the core fundamental description of context. If you just remember that, let that stick in your mind and you will never, ever hopefully ever get out of context?
1: Well, you may make a mistake, but if you're thinking and having on the top of your mind, you'll at least think of that as one of the the issues that could be causing the problem. I think if if you get anything out of this podcast is that I've got to keep thinking about context. I may make a mistake with context, but at least I'm going back to it and going, hey, maybe this field is not from the right relationship or maybe the script is not on the correct layout to do this or maybe the set field is is not targeting the correct field or maybe this calculation is not referring to the f- right table occurrence all those things can happen
0: so let's move on and let's talk about anchor and i think we need to explain it a lot of people are very familiar with it many many people use it i think there's more people who use anchor than don't uh, but a lot of people Perhaps newbies don't understand what Anchor Buoy is, and so why don't you define it, John?
1: Well, uh, it's it's kind of uh, in the name. You have a table occurrence, which is the anchor, and then all of the related tables relate to that. But it also has you'll use you'll almost always have multiple anchors in there. So you, if in our case of the invoicing solution, you'd have an anchor for invoices, you'd have one for customers. And you'd have one for products, three distinct relationships on there. Now, in the old days, uh, if you converted a FileMaker 6 file to FileMaker 7, you were going to get a big spider graph. Everything was connected, right? Well, what? Oh
0: God, what a nightmare! So I
1: didn't mean to bring a, to to give you PTSD there. So
0: <laughs> you you just did. I'm going to have to see my psychiatrist immediately after this podcast.
1: But it, it really was. If you ever converted a FileMaker 6 solution. Uh, into FileMaker 7, you go, why, whoa, he, uh, lines are going everywhere and crisscrossing. And if it was a really complicated solution, it, it would be just unusable. So basically what happened is, is that uh, people came up with, I think Kevin Frank popularized it. Did he come up with it or?
0: Yeah, I don't know whether he did, but he was certainly influential in uh, getting it, uh, you know, popularized and co- in common usage.
1: I mean, I know I didn't come up with it. So thank you, Kevin. If, if you're the guy who got it out there, that's great because I have adopted it wholeheartedly. And so what happens is you have these three succinct graphs here. It's in one relationship graph, but they're they're separate. They're not connected. So again, the invoices will be one grouping. The customers will be another grouping. And the products would be another grouping. So three groupings. And what ends up happening is with the Anchor Buoy is you get more table occurrences, right? Because you want invoices to relate to customers. You want customers to relate to invoices. And you want products to relate to customers and invoices. So you get more table occurrences for customers, invoices, and products. But it's more organized is what ends up happening. And that's the beauty of it because you can go to the graph that you're working on. If you're working on a layout, you you're fiddling around with this and you go I need to figure out what you know what related field I can do or what script I can run you go in you look at one section not everything and you can easily find everything it's kind of looks almost looks like a squid you know you have the the head of the squid is the anchor and then all of the tentacles or branches coming off the end and, and so it makes it really easy to follow through to see what you want to do with that and so I love it it just it it organizes your life so much
0: oh the analogy is very simple in anchor buoy Data is flowing pretty much downstream. So you're going from a parent to the child to the to the to the child of the child, which is then becomes the parent. But it's all flowing downstream. And you've got a very structured and organized. Graph that makes it very easy to go back in and figure out where you are and what you're trying to debug or find or set up. And that's why I like it. Yes, you've got more table occurrences. And yes, you know, it takes FileMaker longer to resolve those table occurrences. But for the most part, FileMaker is so good at doing that. And it's so fast that it really doesn't matter.
1: Yep, to say that we love anchor boom we do all of our projects is an understatement. I mean, I can see if you had a tiny little project doing a spider graph with it, but usually even tiny little projects get bigger over time and it's good to have that anchor buoy system in place so that you can follow along with it and uh you know organize your, you know, your development cycle.
0: Right. I mean, it makes it easier to manage and which makes it easier to debug when something isn't working properly. And everything that you and I do is about getting to a finished solution as quickly as possible so that we don't have to charge the customer lots of money for stuff that we can do or eliminate doing by the way we work.
1: Yep. I, that's my, that's my motto. It's, it's, you're working for the client. You, you charge them as little money as you can. You advise them on what courses to take, which are how much they cost, but you do things as quickly as possible. And that means employing techniques like anchor buoy to make things easier. Correct. So I think what you're probably wondering at this point is, is what does anchor buoy have to do with context? Everything. Yeah. Everything again, right? <laughs> anchor buoy really makes context much easier to understand.
0: It absolutely is the definitive definition of context because you have a table of which is your anchor, and that is the parent to the child table occurrences. And when you're in when you're doing a calculation or doing a script or whatever, you're starting from the anchor and then you're going down, looking at tables that are related to that anchor or table occurrences that are related to that specific anchor. And that's context.
1: Yeah, and I, I like what anchor buoy does when you're putting a field on a layout. Because rather than seeing every single table occurrence in that pop-up menu at the top of the specify field dialog, or even the portal setup dialog is the same thing, it knows that you're on that particular layout, FileMaker knows that that table occurrence is attached to it, and it looks at everything that's connected to it and puts a line between what you can choose and what you can't choose. And so what it does is it reduces the number of choices for me and makes it more obvious. I mean, a lot of things help me out, you know, like naming conventions and things like that. But for me, that nice little succinct little relationship graph uh, or or pop-up menu. So I can choose things more easily really just makes my life so nice. And I love uh, how that anchor buoy just makes me able to stay in context It doesn't prevent me from going out of context because you might still choose the wrong table. You might have two of the same tables connected to the main anchor, but but most times it's going to direct you more quickly to the right context, at least when you're putting a field on the layout. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen in every single place where you choose a table occurrence because like in a script, it doesn't know what the context is. So it just lists everything. And so you have to have good naming conventions. But in a lot of places, it can really help you be better organized inside the relationship graph and outside of it
0: right so i'm gonna and i'm very fond of analogies because i think that they are a good way of explaining stuff context is following a route not a map and once when you know what the route is you just go you just follow that route but if you're just looking at the map you may end up going a different direction which will get you there eventually but it won't get you there immediately. And sometimes you, when you make a mistake, you have to backtrack. So context is not allowing for that.
1: Yeah, I was wondering what you meant by that on the notes. And, and now I, it's it's clear after we've talked about everything that we've talked about. That's a really great uh, way to look at it, I think.
0: Thank you. So let's talk about perspective versus context because this is a confusing subject.
1: Yeah, and I'm not sure I really understood it if- until recently, um, because I remember when FileMaker 7 came out, I remember uh, Vince Manano, who I've known for a long time, who works over at Beeswax now and does a lot of plugins and, and uh, uh, you know, database design report. Products, I think, was this called? Do you remember off the top of your head?
0: Oh, uh, forgotten.
1: We're going to get in trouble now because we forgot what the <laughs> name of it is. Um, but he, it, it's a really cool product um, that we've forgotten the name of. I, I don't particularly use them, but a lot of people love these things, uh, uh, and uh, and they allow you to pull in the database design report into a database, a FileMaker database uh, inspector. Is that what it's called?
0: It could be. I think it is. I think it is called Inspector.
1: I believe that's what it's called. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> our apologies, Vince. Uh, yeah, but you can find Inspector at beeswax.com. But anyhow, the whole point of this is that he talked about perspective and context right when FileMaker Seven came out, and I thought they were kind of the same thing, but they are a little bit different. So we want to put two words into your vocabulary, even though they're really they're like brothers, you know, in the same family. So there's a lot of similarities, but they're also slightly different. And so let's, I'm going to use an analogy here. So context, and we'll use an analogy of a, of a house context is where you're standing inside the house, what room you're in perspective is what you can see from that context. You know, what you can see out the windows or through the doorways and things like that.
0: Yeah, that's a very good analogy and giving you another one, let's talk about, and you're probably going to bring this up, but when you, a portal, for example, is a window into another file. So, but let's put it in terms of a, a house and the portal, you're standing outside the house and you're looking through a window into one of the rooms. The stuff that's in the portal is the stuff that you can see through your viewpoint in the window. You can't necessarily necessarily see everything that's in that room. You can just see a few important things. And that's where a portal is. It's just a window into another table.
1: And so if we take that into FileMaker terms, your layout is your context and your perspective is your portal or your related field. And that's simplistic, but that's the kind of idea. And you want to get those two words in your vocabulary so you can talk about FileMaker and better understand it and, you know, not make contextual uh, mistakes. But a lot of people will just say context, context, context There's really two words there and uh, you know, I think it's important to understand the difference.
0: Yeah, I think it's a very good uh, analogy and a very good way of looking at it.
1: So just to, to beat it up a little bit more, uh, context is where you're at at the moment. So that will regulate where you make a record, if you try to make a record, where you delete a record, uh, what local fields you can set, you need to be on the correct layout. But perspective is again, gonna be a related field, a portal on those layouts pulling information in a script, pulling information through a calculation, all those things is, is, is the, is the relationship part. So it's more like uh, context is the current table and perspective is the relationship.
0: Yep, absolutely. It's a great way of describing it. Well, I don't know about you, John, but I think we've talked this subject to death.
1: Yeah. And there's lots of other resources out there. I mean, context is not that easy of a thing to understand in its totality, unless you study it. And you can do that in many ways by, you know, thinking about it while you're developing and correcting mistakes. But you can also look out at other, you know, Google uh, FileMaker in context and and read other people's articles and videos, and they'll talk about it. And the light bulb is going to go on, not just go on, but it's going to get brighter and brighter and brighter till you really understand context. And you are the master of context rather than it causing you trouble. You don't want to have that, that – you want to reverse the roles where you have control over. And once you have control over context, you're going to be able to make some really cool, complicated solutions.
0: Right. So uh, I, you probably will would, would laugh at this question, but it comes back down to how often have you have you or I said something to somebody else that was taken completely out of context, and then we have to figure out a way how to get ourselves out of the hole we just dug ourselves into?
1: Yeah, I, it happens to me all the time.
0: <laughs> you, me too.
1: You know, you, you say something and people don't understand you because you haven't set the context correctly, right? They don't They go, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you I was talking about, you know, today when I was at the store, but you started off after the context and just started talking about stuff. And it means nothing without that important context to work with. And same thing is it's, that's why they use that word because it's, it's the same thing in real life as it is in FileMaker.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And just to recap context is everything i'm michael rashad thanks for listening and we look forward to seeing you at the next podcast
1: and i'm john mark osborne and we welcome any comments you want to say uh, give us the feedback we want to know what you want to hear about and you know what you thought about what we said
0: thanks again for listening take care see you next week bye you've been listening to fireside filemaker a podcast with john mark osborne and michael rashad We'd love to hear what you think, so please email us at info at firesidefarmaker.com That's info at Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.